Hi, I'm Bruce Weinstein, and this is the podcast Cooking with Bruce and Mark. And I'm Mark Scarborough, and together Bruce and I have written 34, 5, 6, or what are we writing right now? 35? 35 cookbooks? This is our 35th book. We are writing our 35th book, which is Instant Pop Bible, The Next Generation, but we wrote the best-selling book, The Instant Pop Bible. And, you know, after so many cookbooks, we thought we would turn around with today's show, and this is actually part of a four-part series. The first part of a four-part series called what? So You Want to Write a Cookbook. That's it. So this is a question about how to write a cookbook, and you want to write a cookbook, and you know, a lot of people are home right now. <laughs> They're inside. And a lot of people are cooking. A lot of people are cooking. I see a lot of people already, I noticed, posting about I'm so over cooking. Um, I'm done with cooking because there's been so much cooking. But nonetheless, a lot of people want to write a cookbook, right? You know, we've been hearing that for the 21 years that we've been doing this. From the beginning, all we heard people say is, oh, I want to write a cookbook. Right. And, well, let's... And nobody really knows the process or why or how or what, and it's changed over the years, so we're going to take you through it a bit. Yeah, we're going to answer three big questions on today's podcast on this first part of the four-part series uh, about writing a cookbook. And the first one is what? Well, the first one is the first thing people always say to us, do I need an original idea? And the really short answer is no. You do not... <laughs> Need a, an original oh, idea. so I can use your ideas then. <laughs> I'm going to take your ideas and rewrite and your books. Let me explain this. And by this, I don't mean, oh, you know, there's only so many brownie recipes in the world. So who can come up with a new brownie recipe? That maybe we hear that a lot. Listen, in our career, we have heard that a lot, right? There yeah. are only so many cake recipes. Well, there are only so many there cake recipes. are, and yet, given the variables within bread, cake, muffins, I don't name it, chicken, there are thousands, millions, zillions of ways to come up with original recipes. But what you don't need an original idea. What you need is an original idea angle explain what you mean idea. explain what you mean what the difference between an idea and an angle is okay so you're, let's say your idea is i'm going to write about um I'm gonna, let me pick out something that's really really well covered right pasta now. no 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 israeli cooking oh good israeli cooking well because it is good it is good i be, love it because we've got so many books and Otto Lange sits like a spider over the entire category <laughs> so it's very hard to think about how to write a book about Israeli cooking. However, if you wanted to write a book that was about, now don't write us, don't at us, <laughs> but if you wanted to write a book that was somehow, wow, Palestinian-Israeli fusion or crossing over the Gaza wall or... <laughs> Oh, cooking on the wall. <laughs> cooking nice. on the Gaza that's, wall. That's as bad as cooking from the camps. It's terrible. Um, it's, this is really honestly a terrible idea, and no one would buy your idea. But that is an original angle on the idea. If you wanted to write about how Palestinian chefs reinterpret Israeli recipes and how Israeli chefs reinterpret traditional Palestinian Arabic recipes, and you're going to ultimately talk about hummus. Which is going to be the name of the book, <laughs> The Hummus Wars, which is the they all believe Wars. they invented it. Yes, they do. <laughs> um, and please don't add us, don't write us. Anyway, that is an <laughs> original angle on an idea. And so you're going to need not an original idea. You can't write a book about chocolate. But you can have an idea about chocolate. You can't, at this point, a lot of people, listen, have written about chocolate as aphrodisiac. A lot of people have written about chocolate as, believe it or not, diet aids. A lot of people have written about chocolate, I don't know what, uh, in savory cooking. I don't know that there's a whole book about chocolate in savory cooking, is well, there? Well, that would be a great book idea. 
I, yeah, that is kind See, of a that's, wild idea. That's not a new idea. That's chocolate, but it's a new way to think about chocolate. Yeah, because you can add a little bit of chocolate to beef stew. Talk about that. Oh, I make this incredible braised venison. You could do it with beef or bison, too, where I put some unsweetened chocolate and some creme de cassis in it. Oh, it's so good. Yeah, and it gives it this really deep, complex flavor in this savory stew. Well, kind so, of like mole, but you have to be careful because if you add too much, you end up with chocolate sauce uh, on chicken. Oh, yes. We were in an event once where we got they were making mole. This is terrible to say. But the chef was very proudly making his mole. And I swear to God, it tastes like canned Hershey's syrup. Well, I think he opened Hershey's syrup oh. and stirred some chili powder into it and then just sort of oh. squeeze bottled it onto our chicken. Uh, you know, mm. that just does no good for the concept of mullet. Anyway, so you do not need to have an original idea, but you need to have an original angle. And listen, you this is part of the problem, and we're going to talk more about this in a bit. You cannot be fake, but you have to figure out how to be authentic with your new idea. That's tough. Well, what I'm hearing Mark say here is that I have to be authentic to who I am, authentic to myself. Um, because if you truly believe your angle is right, and if your angle is different, you be authentic to that angle. Be authentic to the way you're coming at it. Don't right. fake it. Right. And okay, there's a grand example of faking it lately. Well, it was a couple of years ago, and that is the book Thug Kitchen. Um, and Thug Kitchen was a great, giant bestseller. I mean, there's no discounting its success. And see, here you go. It's a new angle on a subject that had been well covered, vegan cooking. It, that is a well-covered subject. And yet to put it in this voice of, I don't know. Uh, city thug. Yes. It, it's, it, it gave it new resonance. Now that the people who wrote it were upper crust white <laughs> people. I don't even want to touch with a 10-foot pole because, uh, personally, I have issues. But uh, nonetheless, this is an example of somebody who came up with a new angle on something that had been very well covered. If you came to me and said, oh, I'm going to write a vegan cookbook, I'd say, mm, nah. there's so many vegan cookbooks out there. There's so many people from... Deborah Madison from Moosewood mm -hmm. right forward into this very world right now to Otto Lange. Well, Thug Kitchen is weird because you're right. It became a huge success, but it huge. wasn't authentic. That would kind of be like a book on slave cookery written by plantation owners. Well, it might be. It's not, it shouldn't happen that way. It shouldn't. And that now we're getting into the ethics of it. But here's what is true about Thug Kitchen. And I don't want to kick them too hard because I want to kick them ethically, but not too hard in terms of their success. Because here's what's true about it. They kept an authentic angle on the subject and they kept it straight and true. And they were able to make an ex success out of what is rather a hackneyed idea of vegan cooking. I mean, no offense to vegans, right. but there are lots of vegan cooking books out there, yet they held on to their authentic voice and they went forward with it. Which brings us, let's just want one more thing to say. Part of authenticity, and Bruce brought this up already, is voice and voicing of how you write. And that's part of not being fake. Now, they put on a voice of a quote-unquote thug, which makes my, so they managed, it makes my skin crawl. Well, so so what they managed to do was to be both fake and authentic at once, which is really interesting. <laughs> I'm postmodern. Um, <laughs> they were authentically fake to the point where they won awards. Tom Stoppard. Um, 
<laughs> if uh, you could pull that one off, you could write a cookbook. You can. But voice is generally the way. And by voice, I mean your position toward the subject matter, whether you're funny, whether you're super expertise, whether you're, you know, up some high level bread baking, uh, Peter Reinhardt bread baking expertise, or whether you're funny or whether you're awkward or nerd cooking. Oh, oh, there's an idea. Nerd cooking. Oh, that I hasn't been done. I kind of like it. Nerd cooking. Um, that uh, you have got to. Is it, oh, how about cooking nerds? No. That would be a much better book. No, no, no. <laughs> I fear that I would be on the first recipe. Um, but nerd cooking. I like it. Anyway, you've got to figure out how to create a voice that lends authenticity to this new angle you've developed on an original idea. Okay. So now. We beat that one, haven't we? We did. We did. We beat that. So, so now you want to write a book. So you have this. You have an idea. Um, it may not be an original idea, but you're going to have a certain angle on it. The best way to approach this is to pick one single subject. And why don't you explain what we mean by single subject? Single subject cookbooks are cookbooks about one thing. Let me say uh, pecans, hazelnuts, lemons, um, shrimp. Let's talk about a few we wrote. Shrimp, <laughs> peanut butter. They they are a subject, they are a cookbook that attempts to exhaust a single ingredient or a single piece of a subject. Or it may be a, a, a larger technique like muffins. Right. Uh, but it is a it is a but, book that is focused toward one thing. But it's not regional. It's not nope. like the cooking of Italy is not a single subject. No, nope. cooking of Hawaii is not a single nope. subject. Tomatoes would be. Tomatoes would be a single subject. Um, if you wrote the tomato, the soy sauce. You can get even oh more. Right, you can get even more single subject than tomatoes. You can do the canned tomato cooking. Oh, nice. But that's all. That's actually a different direct. That's almost a different. Um, that's almost a different angle. Right. On tomato soup. So that's a nice way to say, well, there have been tomato books, but no one that I know has done a canned tomato book. Right. So and, that's one way to think about and, it. And in fact, there's a book out there, and I swear there's a book to be written because I've thought about it a million times, on cooking with canned vegetables. And I don't mean frozen vegetables because Bruce and I are actually advocates of cooking with frozen vegetables. But cooking with canned vegetables, and I don't mean gross, soft, mushy asparagus. That's how they come out of a can. Although, I know. But although there may be things to do with that soft, gross, mushy Smoothies, asparagus. Smoothies. 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 Oh, asparagus. <laughs> if you you smoothie. know, if you shake the can enough, like you put it in one of those paint can mixers before you open it, it comes out as a smoothie. Maybe you could put it in the chocolate sauce for asparagus mole, and then, mm. then <laughs> no, I just Canned mean that asparagus, there's, there's probably syrup. there's probably an entire book to be written on the single subject of cooking with canned vegetables because a lot of people use these things and they're not all gross corn is not gross nope. peas are not gross um mushrooms mush wow well i don't know <laughs> but there's got to be something to be said for doing this but okay so uh, single subject cookbooks are often the way cookbook writers get established but there's a problem with them. well there is and we let, before we talk about the problem can we just back up and talk about what how how it happened in our career well single subjects were how we started it was the first 13 books of our career and we started with an ice cream book and then a frozen drink book and then a candy book and then we did shrimp and potatoes and muffins and chocolate cookies um and that was back in 1999 and it was a different time and single subject books were big they were both Big in the industry and big in size. You could write a single subject book that had hundreds of recipes in it. You could. And that kind of doesn't happen anymore. Nope. 
It does not. Modern single-subject books tend to be short. They tend to be small, 50 recipes, 60 recipes, 70 recipe books. We were writing 125, 150 recipe books back then. And modern single-subject books have slowed down and fallen. They've also become increasingly photographed. Uh, Back in our day, single-subject cookbooks were not really photographed. None of ours have photographs, yet they still sold hundreds of thousands of copies. Today, you have to think about it more almost like a little hardcover magazine edition, that it's bathroom reading, that it's gift books, um, that it's coffee table book. Yep. It's a beautiful little... The Candace little, Paragus book. Yeah, it's good. <laughs> I'm trying to imagine 50 beautiful photo shots, 50 beautiful <laughs> photographs my, my, of Candace Paragus. My mom made Candace Paragus when I was a kid, and she would pour it out of the can out of the stove and boil it for like 30 minutes until it, you could smush it on your, pa- on your oh. upper palate and... <laughs> Does Candace Candace asparagus give you the same pee as fresh asparagus? I don't want to get into the whole asparagus pee discussion. I knew we would get there. You can't bring up asparagus without that happening. Anyway, I don't want to talk about that. Um, So there is a drawback. Now you go ahead with the drawback. Well, the drawback is that single subject books these days pay very little. Like be prepared basically just to give it away. So let's suppose you knew an editor – you didn't have an agent yet, but you knew an editor somewhere, and you had a lovely discussion, and they said, you know, I would love to do the waffle book. I would love to do this you know, 40-recipe waffle book that's going to have beautiful photographs, and some could be sweet, some could be savory. You have cauliflower waffles, some chocolate waffles, and blueberry waffles. And be prepared that you're not going to make any money on it. Okay, so— but, you get a book. So tell, so t- talk about Frozen Drinks with or Without the Buzz. So the first book I ever wrote right before I met Mark was called Frozen Drinks with or Without the Buzz. See, single subject. Which is a single subject. And it was an interesting take because it's a frozen drink book, but the take was that you could have alcohol or no alcohol. Right, in there, every single... In every single recipe. So there had right. been smoothie books, of course, and there had been frozen drink alcoholic books, but no one had approached it from each recipe can be with or without. And the book had... Oh, under 75 recipes. In yeah, it. back to a small book. Back, and that was back in the day when even though we just said single subject books were longer, it was a, it was it was being published as a gift book. It and was. I, I don't know if, if these things even because retail, what is retail anymore? But <laughs> back then, um, books would be put on the counter as impulse buys in like card shops, card shops. Listen to me. And, Listen to how old I am. And Urban Outfitters. They were a big yeah, one. Yeah, Urban Outfitters and card shops and stationery shops. God, how old am I? And those kind of places would carry these books on the counter. In fact, there was a card shop on 8th Avenue in New York City that... Rainbows and Triangles. Yeah, it was a gay card shop. And we went in there a lot. I bought a lot of cards, thank you notes, Christmas cards, everything in there. And they actually had that book on the counter as an impulse buy. There was a hair cutter in the back of that shop. And before I met Mark, I had gone there and he cut my ponytail off. Oh, oh. (laughs) wow, this has gone way out of field. Okay, so, but, so to to, to say how you landed that book. So I was in the right place at the right time. I was working in a test kitchen creating recipes. I met my friend Jody. Um, she was working in the test kitchen with me, and she was working on one of these little gift single subject books on dips for Katie Workman, who at the time was working at Clarkson Potter. And that's a long publishing way around a block right there. And so I went out to lunch with Jody, and we ran into Katie Workman on the street, and we were talking, and I told Katie what I was doing. And she said to me, out of the blue, now this can't happen anymore, but she said to me, You want to write a drink book for me? I'm looking for a drink book to go into that series. And since you do what Jody does and you're in that business, I'd love to have you do it. She did not pay me enough 
to cover my expenses on alcohol and ingredients. Can, can I just say, how much did she pay you? $7,500 to write go. that book with no royalties. Now, let me tell you that $7,500 in 1997, dollars $7,500 is different than $7,500 in 2020. Yes. But... The advances for single subject books by and large are lower than that at this point. Yeah. You would be really well placed to get a $7,500 advance for the Honey Book. Yeah, it would. Now, the difference is you might still retain the rights to the book, so you would actually make royalties on it now. Yeah. To get that contract, I did it as a work for hire, so I did not make any royalties. And even though that book sold 200,000 copies, I never saw another penny after that. And in case you don't know, this is so industry talky now suddenly. Let me just, if you don't know uh, this, we uh, authors kind of assume everybody knows what this means. But what may you don't? An advance means that the publisher has given you an advance on your royalties. That is, they have loaned you, but you don't have to pay it back, money upfront based on how well the book will sell. And let's say your book, we're going to make this really easy, it's going to, that it's going to sell for $10 and you're going to make a dollar a copy. This is not the real world, but let's just pretend. You, so the book retails for $10 a copy. That means a dollar of it is your royalty. If they pay you $7,500, then you have to sell 7,500 books before you see one more penny because of money. Because that was an advance against it. That's right. And yep. they're going to advance you your royalties. Now, in my case, I didn't get an advance because I wasn't making royalties. I just got a fee. Right. So that was fine. But what that did is it gave me an opportunity to talk to agents who then, oh, you have a book. I'll talk to you. And then be able to move on and try and sell other books. And it did. It led to a whole wonderful career. So giving it away at the beginning is really important. It is really important, and it is part of the process at this point, is that it was part of the process in the 90s. It's still part of the process, is giving it away, and I know that that doesn't do much good for most people. I had a friend who probably is listening to this podcast, a friend who now is part of my online book group. Oh, I have an online book group. Um, it's true, we do, and we read and discuss online through Zoom sessions. Um uh, I have a friend who a while back was talking to me about trying to establish something about mocktails. And I don't know if he's listening now, but I'm just saying that I've never let up this idea. He said, oh, you know, he, he makes really good mocktails and blah, blah, blah. And I kept thinking, this is a great idea. There needs to be this really fine mocktail book. But I did warn him at the time. If you go forward with this idea, it's not going to garner you much money up front, mm -hmm. but it may lead to all kinds of things out of that. That's but right. That's a whole different story. Okay, so we've answered, do I have to have an original idea? And our short answer is no. Um, we've said, what's the best way in? And that's single subject cookbooks. And now the third question is the one that always comes up when people say, I want to write a book, cookbook. And that is, I'm going to put it baldly, can I use treasured recipes? And by this, I mean, just let me have this minute. The, this, by this I mean I have recipes from my grandmother and she was a great cook and I've always wanted to write a cookbook about her recipes okay now now the, go the answer to that is maybe um, mm. you can share mm. your grandmother's recipes mm. maybe mm. it depends on how you connect and talk to your audience and how you present it um, because let's face it, people have a lot of places to go for recipes that are free these days. Yep. The internet is full of grandma's recipes yep. from many different grandmas from many different countries. YouTube is full of cooking nanas and cooking right. old ladies. So if you're asking people to pay for your grandma's recipes, you have to give them a reason to pay you. 
And what's that reason? Well, the reason is, and this is going to sound incredibly crass, but this is where we're going to end this of our first of our four-part series. Cookbooks, writing cookbooks is a business proposition. And what you have to do is think about who would buy this. I realize that your nieces and nephews and cousins might buy your grandmother's recipes and they meant a lot to you. This is no no shade on any of them or on the recipes. But how will Ray, who lives 500 miles away from you and has never heard of you, how will Ray be enticed to buy your book? And why would Ray or Jane or Joe, who live a thousand miles away from you, be enticed to pick up this book or order this book by looking at it on Amazon? You have to think about how to connect with these people. How do you do it? There has to be a way to connect with them, right? And the first way to connect with them is to build the audience almost before you present them with the recipes you're selling. Okay, that's the next podcast. So we're going to hold that idea. That's the total next podcast. But for now, I just want to leave it with the idea that you've got to connect with people, right? Uh, you do. You have to make sure that somebody knows not just who you are, but why would they buy this book? Not just from you, but why would they buy this book? Why? And that's not an easy question to answer. It's hard. Even to this day, Mark and I have published 35 books. Um, we've sold over a million copies of our books. We have a nice audience out there. And every time we talk to our publisher about a new idea, the question that comes up over the lunch table is always, why will people pay you for this one? Oh, and every single I hope, time. I hope you can feel the little knife that's in that because it's hard and it's hard to work out with. There are two, and I, I maybe let me leave it here. Um, there are two horrible questions that get asked about every cookbook idea. The first is what Bruce said: Why will people pay for this? Why? Why? And I mean, like, and the answer can't be because the recipes are really good. No. And the answer can't be because my grandmother was wonderful. No. No. <laughs> those are not the answers. And no. the, the answer is harder than you can imagine. And the second question that gets asked, which is like a knife slip to the to the heart is how is this idea not just a magazine article oh that's the question that comes up with almost every cookbook oh. idea well isn't that just a magazine article oh. and you as an author and as oh. a person passionate about food and passionate about your idea have to figure out in your head how you're going to explain that this is more than just a magazine. And there's always a way to do it. Right. We can't give you that answer. You're going to have to figure that out. But that is something you need to figure out as you figure out your idea. How is this not just a magazine article? And once you figure that out, then you have a book. Yeah, you do have a book. And let's just say that there are lots of ways to skin this cat. We're going to talk about it in future episodes of the podcast. No offense to cats anywhere. Um <laughs> <laughs> Except the musical. I have a lot of offense to the musical. <laughs> no offense to any cats. But we kind of um, we ended on a downer note, and it's really not a downer. These are just things you have to think about. Listen, if you were starting a business, any business, if you were starting the Great American Tortilla Company, you would have to think these things out. You would have to think about what's your business plan, how are you going to make this work. These are the questions, and it's hard to think about this expressionistic 
form, right? Writing, yeah. which is all about personal expression and personal taste. It's hard to think about it in suddenly a business context. But if you're asking people to pay you, then it becomes business. Yeah, that's If you it. just want to write out your grandma's recipes and self-publish a little book and give it away to people, do that. It's wonderful. You and it'll give you your that. passion. And you should give it to your cousins and your sisters and your cousins mm. and your aunts because they would love that. You should. But if you want to sell it to strangers, it's business. I I wish my grandmother was a baker. My grandmother was a baker back in the day when elementary schools had bakers. And she went to this elementary school every single day and baked bread. She made homemade hamburger and hot dog buns for lunch. She made cakes and pies. Can you imagine this? In an elementary school in the 50s, in the 40s and the 50s and the 60s, even when I was a little kid, I would go up after school and walk when I was staying with my grandparents and I would walk up to that school and they would always have roasted, you know, 10 turkeys for lunch and she had made homemade bread for turkey sandwiches like this insane insane thing that doesn't exist anymore and i wish i had her recipes oh because that would be that would be an amazing new angle on cafeteria food <laughs> and that would be an amazing book with a great immigrant story and a new yeah. angle on it and yeah. it's something we would probably talk to our publisher about unfortunately mark's grandmother's been dead for 30 years and yeah. we don't have her recipes but no. that's a good example of a great new angle on a classic single subject of cafeteria food. And even if I didn't do that, it would have been wonderful to be able to write those recipes out and hand them out to my cousins, oh, my sure. aunts, my nephews, my nieces, to hand them out and say, these were your grandmothers, my grandmothers, these were your great aunts, whosoever recipes. Yeah. It would have been a great thing. But that's not the same thing as a business proposition. So on this downer note... <laughs> Not a downer note. It's encouraging. It gets people to think about how they want to approach their new ideas. Yeah. So on this downer note, we're going to close the podcast, but uh, we encourage you to follow us and follow us on social media, on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We'd love to connect with you. There's actually a page on Facebook called Cooking with Bruce and Mark, which would be delightful if you like. And remember, this is only part one of our four-part series on how to write a cookbook. So tune in and subscribe and you won't miss a single episode of Cooking with Bruce and Mark.